if you are a child or a teenager at home, I guess it's a little bit uncomfortable to engage with this. Perhaps it's actually a little bit humbling to hear this because if you're being entirely honest, doing what your parents tell you to do is not your favorite hobby at the moment. Boy, if you are a parent of a teenager, you certainly can relate to that. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And uh, Jonathan, you have any teenagers in your house? We do not. Not quite yet. <laughs> okay, so it is coming <laughs> the time when uh, you're going to have to uh, tell them what to do and see how they react and respond to that. But today we're beginning a message from Ephesians chapter 6, honoring Christ at home and at work. And uh, I think at home, Jonathan, is one of the places where honoring Christ can be the most difficult because that's where we're around the people who know us the best and see our probably see our biggest faults. Oh, isn't that right? Uh, we let our guard down at home, and we are as we truly are, and don't our families know it? But Jesus, as he transforms us and calls us to a transformed life, he calls us to transformation in every aspect of our lives and in every relationship. And that extends to the home and, and to the workplace, of course. And he calls us to live in a way that's it's not natural to us, and it's pretty countercultural. But it is the call of the gospel for the Christian person. Well, we're going to continue to look at that today from the book of Ephesians. Again, we're in chapter 6, looking at the first nine verses. So grab a Bible, join us there as we begin a message honoring Christ at home and at work. Here is Jonathan. Well, Valentine's Day is, of course, the day of the grand gesture, the day in the year where we hope that the deficiencies of 364 days will be remedied by that big and very expensive bouquet of flowers and that very nice box of chocolates. Of course, it's important to remember February the 14th and not to forget it, nor to get the date mixed up and think that the 14th was actually the 13th, as someone in our house did until he got bailed out by a reminder from his seven-year-old daughter. Thank you, Bella. <laughs> somewhat embarrassing. It's somewhat uh, embarrassing when that happens. It's important not to miss Valentine's, but it is, as we all know, even more important to invest in the other 364 days of the year. In loving relationships, it is the day-to-day that really counts. And as in our human relationships, so too in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The day-to-day, the ordinary, the regular rhythms of life are actually of the greatest importance. In fact, as Paul wants us to see this morning, God is deeply interested in the very ordinary rhythms and patterns of your life and of my life. Throughout this whole section of Ephesians, we've been learning how God wants us to live each day as children of light who shine brightly in a very dark world. If you were with us last week, you'll remember that the broader theme of these immediate verses is the theme of submission. Verse 21 of chapter 5 acts as a kind of heading over this little section. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this submission, as we thought about last week, it's not a chaotic thing so that we're all just falling over one another, submitting to one another in every context all the time. No, this is an ordered submission. It is shaped by context. It is shaped by God-given roles. 
Last week, we looked at the dynamics of this within the marriage relationship. We saw what reverence to Christ looks like in this very unique and this very special context. And those of us who are married, I think we felt the full force of the challenge of God's Word in that area because His standard is so very high. But Paul has more to say to us on this whole topic of submission. Today, he'll show us that there is an appropriate order of submission and leadership within the wider household and within the workplace as well. We start with the home. Verse 1, notice it again with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In words often attributed to Mark Twain, a man recalls this attitude toward his father in the days of his youth. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant that I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in those seven years. <laughs> there is this tendency, isn't there? Inbuilt, hardwired within us in our sinfulness to resist and even to despise parental leadership and parental authority. And those teenage years, they can be a little rough. For a brief period of time, while I was doing some uh, graduate research over in the UK, I taught at a boys' school in London kind of to pay the bills. And I, I got to learn something about working with teenagers. I remember when I started the job there, a senior member of the staff said to me, you know, the boys start off with us at our, our prep school, at our, our junior school, being, you know, polite and quite well-behaved and so on. But something happens to them when they turn 14. <laughs> And I came to understand a little bit of what he meant as time went on. And, and he said, you just have to kind of work through that. And, and he said, but, but you wait long enough. You get to the end of the teenage years, the early 20s, and they kind of rejoin civilized society. <laughs> and they actually turn out rather well, he said. And, you know, that was, that was true. I often thought how nice the alumni were when I met them at, at various events. And I couldn't really imagine that they were ever like the 14 or 15-year-old boys sitting before me in the classroom being a little bit disruptive. Now, not all young people go through that sort of thing, and, and we've got some wonderful young people who are really and seriously pursuing godliness. I actually quite enjoyed uh, teaching the teenagers for my part. I thought they were great. But, but I think we, we know the kind of dynamic that that teacher was describing. We've all exhibited those rebellious tendencies ourselves to some extent. If we're parents, we'll all have experienced something of this from our own children, differing degrees, of course. And some parents, well, they'll have had the heartbreaking experiences, maybe this is you, of uncontrollable children, rebellious teenagers bent on self-destruction, adult children who have just rejected their parents entirely. We see it all over the place. It's part of the wreckage of sin in our hearts and in our society. And the instinct, of course, traces back squarely to the Garden of Eden and to the fall, the rebellious dislike of authority, the sense that I know best and I will pursue my own course and do life my own way. Well, that's just what Adam and Eve felt toward the Lord, wasn't it? That's at the very root of what went wrong in the Garden the instinct, it goes back to the fall, and we see it reflected everywhere in our contemporary society. The effects of it, they spill over into our schools where maintaining discipline is a huge challenge to our teachers today. In some ways, rebellion against parents is, is normalized today to an unusual extent in historical terms. The, the teenage rebellion, it's seen now just as a kind of rite of passage 
the breaking away of parents' values and, and rules as a part of developing one's own identity and so on. But against such a backdrop, Paul calls Christian children to be distinctive. He calls them to be light. He calls them to obey and to honor their parents. The word obey is, of course, quite a strong word. Back in chapter 5 and verse 22, you'll notice that wives were called to submit to their husbands, but not to offer them unqualified obedience. But here the demand is all the stronger, it's all the more rigorous. For a child submitting to parents out of reverence for Christ, well, that will mean obeying what their parents say. Now, that's a big challenge. That's hard teaching. If you are a child or a teenager at home, I guess it's a little bit uncomfortable to engage with this. Perhaps it's actually a little bit humbling to hear this because if you're being entirely honest, doing what your parents tell you to do is not your favorite hobby at the moment. <laughs> Maybe, in fact, you have been making it a point of principle just lately to do something of the opposite of what your parents ask you to do. See, the challenge from God's Word is a big challenge this morning, but it also raises for us an obvious question, an important question. How far does this requirement extend? Is obedience to parents a lifelong requirement, as some parents would like it to be? I mean, if you're 50 years old and married with your own kids and your parents want you to do something that's clearly not going to work, it's clearly going to be problematic for you and your spouse and for your children, are you still required to obey them? The instruction to obey flows, of course, from the fifth commandment quoted there in verse 2, to honor your father and your mother. Now, that commandment is not age-restricted as it is given. The call to honor parents, well, that extends through life, caring for them, giving time and attention to them, making sure that their needs are met in old age. But when it comes to the call to obey, we need to notice the immediate context here in Paul's discussion. Paul seems to be speaking quite clearly about life within the parental home. He seems to be speaking about children at home while they are being raised by their parents. Notice what he says in verse 4. Paul is speaking to fathers about how they bring up their children. And with, within that context, while that is going on, well, the children, they need to obey. And that's a good and important principle to honor. As Paul says at the end of verse 1, it is intrinsically right. There is something fundamentally right about that. It's woven into the very fabric of society as God has designed it. And even in quite non-Christian cultures, cultures untouched by the gospel, really, you'll still see the principle being accepted. And the commandment, well, it's not there as a burden. As Paul notes, the commandment is the first commandment of Scripture, the only one of the ten that comes with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, the original promise back in the Ten Commandments was for the Israelites to enjoy long life in the land, that is, the land of promise. Coming into the New Covenant situation, we could spiritualize that promise. And so imagine that the idea is that believers will enjoy a happy eternity in the, in the life to come. But it seems to me that the promise is probably more basic and, and literal. Honoring parents, obeying parents, will mean that life in this world where the Lord has placed you, it's going to go better. 
Young people are less likely to go and make shipwrecks of their lives through pursuing this youthful rebellion. They're going to benefit from their parents' wisdom and protection and care. You see, this is a good way to live. This is the right way to live. And God blesses those who live his way. And of course, we'll all know stories, tragic stories, of young people who were just rebellious, who made a point of doing precisely the opposite of what their parents told them to do, who seemed intent of making a kind of point out of it, proving a principle, and who did go on to damage themselves as they rejected their parents' good advice and their protections, and who chose a much more damaging way. Well, things haven't gone well for those people. They bear long-term consequences of those decisions. Now, that's actually a good warning and a good reminder for us. There is a flip side to the promise as it's given. Life isn't going to go so well. You won't enjoy this blessing if you're set on rebellion against your parents. Now, you may well consider this, and you may say, well, look, my, my parents, they've got some major weaknesses. I really think they are very wrong about quite a lot of stuff. Sometimes, frankly, they seem like pretty bad parents. Or you may be a believer and you may be saying, look, my parents, they're not even Christians. We have a totally different worldview. Well, Paul doesn't say here that children should obey their parents because they are great parents or because they're always right or even because they are necessarily believers. Remember, this whole section is about submitting where God calls us to submit and to do so out of reverence for Christ. And there in verse 1 of chapter 6, the instruction is to obey your parents in the Lord. That is, obey your parents because you are in the Lord. You belong to Jesus Christ, and you live under the headship, the leadership, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Obviously, if a parent, believing or unbelieving, asks you to do something that dishonors Christ, then your highest allegiance is to Jesus because you would only obey your parents because you honor Christ. But you, no, you honor them, you obey them, because you honor and obey Jesus. And this is what he's called you to do. You're listening to Encounter the Truth of Jonathan Griffiths, and we have to pause the message right here, but don't go anywhere. We're going to get back to this teaching from the book of Ephesians in just a moment. Our message is part of a larger series we're calling The Unsearchable Riches of Christ as we continue our teaching in the book of Ephesians. And if you ever miss a broadcast on the series, Come to our website, listen online. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. And when you're there, I want to ask you to consider a gift of support because we are listener-supported. We depend on your generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching on this station. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Time Well Spent. In this book, the author Colin Webster really helps us take a look at developing daily devotions, taking a look at some of the common obstacles that we face and giving us a practical guide for conquering those and developing that devotional life. We'd love to send you a copy of this book as our way of saying thanks for your support. Find out more, give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Back to the message. Here's Jonathan. It's challenging to think this one through a little. It's humbling to think this one through a little. Because actually your obedience to your mother or your father, it actually shows how well you are obeying your heavenly father. It is a good spiritual barometer of your obedience. 
I think it would be quite easy to imagine that you're doing pretty well pursuing the Lord. You're growing spiritually. Things are looking positive. Sure, I mean, this whole dynamic with your parents isn't all that great. You don't really like doing what they tell you to do. You don't much appreciate their interference in your life. But otherwise, things are going really well spiritually, and you're encouraged. But you see, Paul wants you to understand that if you're not obeying your parents, if you're not honoring your parents, well, you're not honoring the Lord. And no, things aren't going well spiritually, if that's the reality. Your obedience to your parents, it is a good barometer of your heart. For those who are kids, teenagers, even young adults at home, what will it mean for you today, for you this week, just to take God's Word seriously here in chapter 6? Maybe there's something you need to set right with your mom or your dad. Maybe there's a conversation you need to have. Maybe there's an apology you need to make. Maybe there's just something you need to go home and work through and talk through and pray through. The word to kids and young people here is challenging. The word to parents, to fathers, is no less stretching. Verse 4, notice it with me. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I think we all know something of the dangers of overbearing parenting. We've all heard plenty in recent years about helicopter parents and tiger mothers and so on. A major study at University College London, published not so long ago, attempted to study and quantify the lifelong impact of overbearing parenting. It tracked 5,000 people from birth in 1946 as a major study, right through into their 60s with checkpoints along the way. And it looked at the lifelong impacts of the parenting they received for their overall psychological well-being. And not surprisingly, parents who exercised very strong psychological control of their children, heavy-handed parents, well, they left lasting scars on their kids. And the father's impact, interestingly enough, was particularly significant in this. There were lifelong implications for their happiness and their mental well-being. The researchers found that the impact of such parenting, overbearing parenting, was roughly equivalent to suffering a bereavement for the young person. And so Paul's words, they ring true. Their wisdom is evident. Fathers do not exasperate your children. Now, we're seeing a little bit of a pattern here in Paul's instructions. Where there is a relational dynamic, where one group provides leadership and one needs to submit, when Paul goes on to speak to the leadership group in the equation, husbands, fathers, masters, he doesn't say to them, you know, make sure you get submission out of the other person. You make them submit. No, he doesn't do that. He, he, he doesn't say that. He basically tells the leader within the situation how to make it easy and how to make it pleasant and how to make it good for the other one to follow his leadership. So, fathers, your role, my role, is not to squeeze submission and obedience out of your kids, not to manipulate, not to control. It's not to lay down the law all the time and be a little bit of an ogre. No, your role is to avoid exasperating your children and then to lead them in a positive way. As I reflect upon this, I think this is some of the most important and urgently needed parenting advice in the whole of the Bible. 
I think that a lot of parents, a lot of fathers who take their leadership responsibilities within the home seriously, I think a lot of fathers can easily fall into the trap of being heavy-handed. And some will be outright ogres. And they'll do that while imagining that they are following the path of righteousness. But as we look carefully at the Bible's pattern and as we understand it truly, the Bible's model of parenting is not oppressive. It doesn't make for joyless homes and crushed and constrained children. We all know that it can be incredibly hard to provide good leadership in the home. Leadership in the midst of noise and fatigue and pressure. Leadership that has to overcome the sinful heart of the parent and the sinful heart of the child. It's very hard in that context to avoid leading in such a way that the parents just get frustrated and the kids just get exasperated. We know how it happens. We've all seen it happen. Uh, fathers among us, no doubt, we've all been guilty of it, issuing edicts and rules, cracking down on the kids, acting out of frustration and exhaustion, even anger, and just exasperating the kids so that over time that resentment can build. It's easy to do. It's hard to avoid. But at the same time, Paul does give us an alternative. Instead, says Paul, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The alternative that Paul gives us is actually something harder and not something easier. It's something more thoughtful, something more measured, something more intentional. Don't be a reactionary who just makes these emotional knee-jerk responses. No, says Paul, invest in bringing up the kids in the instruction and the training and the discipline of the Lord. Rather than slamming down rules and rebukes all the time, chastisements and punishments, invest in teaching your kids and showing your kids the Lord's way. Help them to understand what the Word of God will mean for them what it'll mean to follow Jesus and know Jesus and love Jesus, to live his way and not the world's way. See, this is a better approach, but it's a more difficult one. It would be much easier to write a huge long rule list and then jump in with punishments when the kids step out of line. It's harder to invest in them and to show them what the Christian life actually looks like, to open up the scriptures with them regularly to show them how the gospel speaks into their choices and their behaviors and their challenges, how the gospel rebukes them, how the gospel comforts them when they get things wrong, how it helps them. It's hard to model before them the Christian life in such a way that it makes sense to them, in such a way that it rings true to them, with enough honesty for them to know that you're imperfect and sinful just as they are. They'll figure it out anyway. It's hard to then give them enough space and discretion to learn and explore what it means to follow Jesus with you walking alongside them all the way. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called Honoring Christ at Home and at Work. And the Apostle Paul is showing us here that there is an appropriate order of submission and leadership. And if you missed any part of the broadcast, I want you to know you can always come to the website and listen online. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you are a regular listener to this broadcast, you know that Encounter the Truth depends on your generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching on this station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book called Time Well Spent, 
What is this book about, Jonathan? Well, it's about a simple theme, but a really important one if we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about developing a rhythm and a pattern of daily devotions. And that means really spending some time reading God's Word, the Bible, and responding to Him in prayer. It's it's an important thing for anyone who would walk with Jesus to develop that pattern, but it's not always easy to get there, especially if you're starting out from scratch and you've, you've never really done that before, never really been encouraged in it. And, and we think this little book will be a real encouragement to you as you think through how to do that and why to do that, We think that if you can develop that discipline for yourself, you will find that you will grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And and we just want to encourage you in that. Well, the book is called Time Well Spent, A Practical Guide to Developing Your Daily Devotions. Again, it's our thank you gift to you as you give a financial gift of any amount this month. Give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-998-7884. That might be easier to remember as 833-99-TRUTH. Or again, come to the website, encounterthetruth.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.